When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 28 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and on this episode, we are going to deviate from our normal way of doing things and talk to somebody who's not currently vying for an award, but rather someone who's already won just about every award that's out there. Why? Because when you get a chance to talk to William Shatner, you take it. He's a living legend, best known for the role of Captain Kirk on Star Trek. And this year marks the 50th anniversary of the airing of the first episode of that classic franchise. So I thought now would be as great a time as ever to sit down with the 84-year-old and find out how he's marking the occasion, and also to look back at an entire career that's often underappreciated. This is a guy who began as a Shakespearean-trained actor, who was a prolific performer during the days of live television, whose career then took a major turn with Star Trek and then took a major turn in the other direction when the show was canceled, who then acquired a cult following when it was brought back in syndication, and who, in the years since, has had one of the most varied, colorful, and prolific careers imaginable. We talked to him about all of that, as well as the recent J.J. Abrams versions of Star Trek and Star Wars, and Justin Lin's upcoming take on the Star Trek franchise. I met with Shatner at his offices in Studio City, and I hope you enjoy the conversation that we had as much as I did. First of all, thank you so much for doing this, and mm. tell me... Uh, I have you in my can now. Yeah. I was going to ask if you could just set the scene. Where are we? We're floating through space. <laughs> We're approaching the moon in a tiny vessel. We're broadcasting back to Earth yeah. on these microphones You're in your spacesuit. Your head is swollen, but that's the helmet. Well, anywhere, uh, space travel with you is a, is a unique privilege. So right. it must be hard for you to believe this is the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. So give me a, a comparable experience, <laughs> yeah. even in less years, yeah. uh, of something like, you've, have you got children? No, no, no. You haven't got children? I No. I'm, What's I'm, the matter? Uh, well, you, you recommend it? No, no. <laughs> 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 but you can mark the passage of time. You look at your child, yeah. and you, they emerge from the womb. You think, oh, gosh, that's the miracle of that. And the next thing you know, they're, they're going to a very expensive college. And, and in, in that space of time, right. uh, the time is warped. You've heard about that. Of course. Uh, and that's what, the, that's what this is. It really isn't the 50th anniversary. It just got canceled, Star Trek, <laughs> but we're in a time warp. Right, right. Well, how are you marking the occasion here? I mean, there's a few festivities that are going on. I, I, I wish I could <laughs> leap into the air, yeah. but I can't because it's 50 years later. <laughs> well, but let's talk about a few of the things that I, I, I'm aware of. I'm sure there are many I'm not. But to begin with, the music of Star Trek is still being talked about and played and, and so important to the to the whole franchise. What is How is that being celebrated? Well, um, there is this new venture called The Ultimate Voyage which is going to play, I think, in 100 places in the United States. I hesitate to even say cities or yeah. towns because they're going to smaller venues as yeah. well. Anywhere you are in the United States, yeah. the ultimate voyage will be within your reach. And it is 
it is an extraordinary experience of seeing different scenes of Star Trek and scenes that are linked from one Star Trek to another, for mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. where there might be a mutual theme like man and machine, and that was uh, dramatized in the Star Trek I was in and then Star Trek Three and Star Trek V. Uh, they're brought together uh, to show you how uh, different writers varied their drama on that theme. In addition to that, the music that accompanied those scenes is being played by a live orchestra. So there is a conductor conducting what sometimes is magnificent music written by great uh, composers like uh, uh, Goldsmith, Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, It's being conducted live on stage. You're seeing the visuals on a 40-foot screen and not only is the scene and the theme entrancing, uh, so the conflict of ideas and how Star Trek handled those ideas, but you're seeing movie music being added to the scene, mm-hmm. and you're seeing it happening. So whereas you might be unconscious of the music that's enhancing the scene, and, and, and people who aren't in show business, making movies, are invariably unaware of the music they're so involved in the scene. Right. But that is also applies to the professionals. Many times, professionals who are working in movies can't remember the music because the music is so much a part of the scene. Yeah. But here your, your attention is brought to the conductor who's conducting the music. Mm-hmm. So you become aware of how that music enhances and enables and, and, and uh, supports the, uh, the scene that's going on. It's an extraordinary experience. It sounds amazing. That's the ultimate voyage. Yeah, at a, at a place near you, and all the way through May eighth, I see. So that's exactly, terrific. starting yeah. in the next week and going to May. Yeah, and let me also ask you another thing that's being done to commemorate the occasion. I believe is uh, a book that you've written, right? So, I knew Leonard Nimoy, to give his name the right pronunciation, mm-hmm. um, when we met uh, on Star Trek, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that was 50 years ago. And Leonard passed this past year. And he was a dear friend of mine. Uh, A a deep, deep uh, uh, feeling I had for him. Mm -hmm. And I thought how rare it is uh, for men to have that kind of friendship. I never had it before. Mm -hmm. Even as a kid, I, I didn't know people that well. And I'm referring to the brother that you grow up with, that you upon whom you can lean or they, uh, with abandonment, can lean on you. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of friendship I'm referring to. I never had that. I had it with Leonard. And now that he's gone, the experiences that we had, which I could have said to him, remember the time we were in, and he would said, yeah, you were so, and I said, I wasn't. That's gone. Mm-hmm. I can't validate my experiences. And that's a horrible, mm-hmm. meaningful moment. Well, I can't wait. Does that have a title yet? Leonard, 50 Years of Friendship with a Remarkable Man. Terrific. And it'll be out in three or four weeks. Very exciting. And it's getting great reviews. Sensational reviews. Maybe the best reviews I've ever gotten. Wow. Well, it's a a terrific story. Uh, So what I hope we can do is go back a little bit and just discuss how we got to this point where you've had such a terrific career, continuing to to do great work in, in all different formats. And so, but... It started out in Montreal, right? And I just wonder what sort of an upbringing you had. What what kind of a, 
a family were you born into? Was any of this in the cards from the start, or is it? Does, would it surprise you know the childhood? My uh, mother played mahjong, so was it in the mahjong? <laughs> was it in the mahjong exactly? <laughs> right. But I mean, if somebody came to you and said as a kid, you know, William Shatner, you're gonna you're gonna have this kind of a life, would you have believed it? I well, mean, uh, as against the the extraordinariness of your yeah. question, yeah. The answer would really be yes. Not this kind of career. Mm -hmm. But I knew from the age of six what I wanted to do. And I was. In Montreal, at the age of six, I was performing in amateur theatrics. As a teenager, I I was doing professional radio. Mm -hmm. And uh, I never did anything else but act, write, direct, in some manner, entertain you. And... That's been gone. I never, I've never driven a cab. I've never <laughs> waited on a table. I've never received an, uh, 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 an unemployment check. Right. I've just gone on to be an actor from the moment uh, I was conscious at about the age of six or seven. So if you were to say you were going to be the actor for the rest of your life, I would say, of course. To be talking to you as uh, something of a celebrity because of uh, one or, or another show... That would have been beyond anything I could imagine. So, what puts you on that path? I understand you may be born with a certain type of personality that's that's going to uh, work with acting. You know, that it drew you to it. But what actually started you acting? Well, uh, this I refer to in this one man show that I'm doing, that I'm on tour with in yeah. the northeast, the southeast, and the northwest mm-hmm. in the next uh, three weeks. Um, I was in a camp play. And the play was about, uh, it was written by the campers and all, and, and it was something about the Nazis going to take me away. And I made the audience cry as I talked to my dog about not wanting to go. And when I looked up and the curtain calls were there, I made people cry. Mm-hmm. Later, my dad picked me up and was my boy Bill. Mm-hmm. And I got love and I got applause. Mm-hmm. And my course was set, as I say in the show, a star is born. Yeah. yeah. And somewhat related to what we're talking about here, you were born quite religious as a, as a Jewish person, well, right? Well, yes. Uh, I, I suppose you could say so. Mm-hmm. I, I followed the path that my my father and my uncles were, were, were doing, uh, but uh, got out of that as quickly as possible. <laughs> and uh, I... I find myself more spiritual than religious. Interesting. So off you go eventually to McGill. Was that because you felt that it was uh, important to have a college education rather than go right into acting, or was was it because your parents or somebody was saying you better do this to cover your bases? I I didn't have the independence uh, that uh, I I see children have. No, Daddy, I'm not going to do that. Uh, In my day, what do you mean you're not going to do that? (laughs) (laughs) Quack! Okay, I'm going to do that. Uh, So it didn't occur to me not to follow my, uh, especially my father's wishes. And uh, it just seemed a natural course of events to go to high school and go on to college. And then to choose... uh, uh, business at college and uh, and go into business and uh, he was in a small business and he expected me to go with him and I guess that was my my destiny except deep within this other side of me was the desire to be an actor although the reality of being an actor and making money and I and I remember the, even the sum of money if I could make a hundred dollars a week I would be very happy. 
So um, how is it that you, you graduate from McGill, you have your a business degree, Right. how do you get back on the acting track? Well, I'd been acting in Montreal for all those years. Even while in college? A while in college. Yeah. I was doing, uh, doing the college musicals, doing college radio, doing the college theater, writing, directing, acting, uh, and then doing it as an amateur outside of uh, college in, the, in, the, in, the, in Montreal. So I was performing all the time, uh, continuously, all my life, uh, in one place or another. Um, so when I graduated, I took my stand and I said, I, I got to try it. And I was immediately successfully employed, not at a great deal of money, n no money at all, but I was employed uh, by professional summer theater and then went on to winter theater in Canada and then went on to Stratford. And eventually New York. Was there a job that brought you to New York, or was it the hope for a job that brought you to New York? I was lucky enough to be able to join the Stratford Shakespeare Company in, in Stratford, Ontario. And I did three years of, of uh, Stratford. And in the last year, <clears throat> we did, as a part of the Stratford uh, Festival's uh, 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 entertainment, um, uh, Marlowe's uh, Tamburlaine, and Tyrone Guthrie, who whose name then was he was the, the great English director. Uh, he started the, the one of the, his accomplishments is the Guthrie Theater in uh, Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so Tyrone Guthrie directed this extraordinary version of uh, Marlowe's Tamburlaine, and we brought it to New York for a limited run. And I had a decent part in it, and, uh, and I was recognized, and agents came after me. And long story short is I stayed in New York, and my career began. I wonder if you can clear up something that may be true, maybe not be true. I've tried to read a lot of articles and profiles and things from over the years, and one of the things that I've heard was that the kind of unique Shatner style of speaking that people associate sometimes with you with the varying speeds and the pauses and things, which I know you yourself have, you know, mocked on many occasions uh, or sent up in one way or another. Did that start while you were doing the Broadway production of The World of Susie Wong? Was that part of that? The story I tell. Yeah. See, I, uh, the, this manner of speaking, the so-called manner of speaking. Right. Like, I used to ask the question, does Jimmy Stewart know... <laughs> that you're imitating Jimmy Stewart when he was alive. Right. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart. Right. Uh, so I mock my tongue-in-cheek myself about having to stop people from standing up and leaving this terrible play. That, <laughs> this play was a, a, a disaster for the first three months, and I had to keep pushing the pace of the play to try and keep people from walking out and finally it changed character from a drama to a comedy and people started staying and instead of closing we ran for two years so I send myself up by saying I had to say sit down and I'm going to and, and in, in order to compel the people right. like what is he doing he's insane I better sit in my seat before he attacks me Right. so I send myself up this manner of speaking on Star Trek and I see it sometimes yeah. in Star Trek, was only, what the hell is the next line? <laughs> <laughs> and that's truly the... Uh, no, no, that's I, I, I'm going out the door, and I'm 
asking you to stay. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. So one of the things I guess that was happening a lot in New York while you were there doing some starting with the theater was wasn't a lot of television shot out of New York. And is that how you ended up on... That was the center. Right. Not only was it, is it, was it then the center of uh, theater, right. which it is, of course, still, sure. Broadway, but it was the center of all television. All the networks had studios that broadcast live television. And I was came in on the latter day of live television. I was quite popular as a live television actor in the latter days of, uh, of live television. And worked with a lot of the greats. I mean, the first time, I think, that... Well, first of all, you were doing Playhouse 90 and all these great ones. And mm-hmm. I think Frankenheimer was one of the great TV directors. I worked with right? right? I worked with all those guys in the last stages of their television career prior to the, them becoming big guys in films. In film. Never worked with them in big films. <laughs> <laughs> they forgot about you. Yeah, right? right. So wasn't it the first time you dealt with Rod Serling? Because, you know, everybody loves the That's Twilight right. Zone episodes you did. But the first time was actually Playhouse 90. Exactly. And we all became sort of a company. Right. So what what was it uh, between the Playhouse 90 experience and then these two great episodes that you did with the guy on the wing and then also getting his fortune read? What what made the Rod Starling experience special? If anything, maybe it wasn't. Well, it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> it was just another job. Right. Which, you know, these scripts. So you ask yourself the question, I don't know how many, do you know how many shows Twilight Zone did? I don't know. Uh, it's got to be a hundred, right? Or at least, more, yeah, at least. Yeah. Hundreds, maybe. Yeah. I mean, a lot. They did a lot of shows. Why do the two shows I did, the one on the wing and the one uh, and the guy in the in the town getting a fortune, why are they the amongst, if not the right. most popular shows? If you were taking the top thirteen, you were going to do a marathon. Oh, yeah. You'd always find those those oh, yeah. two in the. Why? What is it? Do you have a theory, or you... I have a theory. But yeah. If what... you got a theory. Well, part of it is people love seeing you before Star I Trek, love that. Right? That's my theory. Yeah? No. <laughs> I'm glad that's your yeah, theory. Yeah. No, my theory is that, like Star Trek, yeah. there are subterranean themes that are hit by the writer that may or may not know that that's a deep-seated thing. So fear of flying is a really—I mean, I, who've flown— Propeller planes, I'm a pilot, I'm a, a pilot of uh, helicopters, mm-hmm. I'm taking helicopter lessons, I, I'm an aerobatic, I've, I've, I've checked myself out in aerobatics. I mean, I'm a pilot. Yeah. I know flight, I understand the theory of flight. I get into turbulence sort of thing, I'm like, oh, geez. Okay? I There's a little concern in my mind about flying. Yeah. It's always lurking there. If God meant us to fly, you know. So... The thought that there's a little <laughs> Czechoslovakian acrobat <laughs> in a furry suit on your wing, at, on my wing at 500 miles an hour, right, right. You know, is, there's something universal, so something so deep. How about getting caught in a town where, well, it's the stock market. It's the stock market is down. Oh Jesus, man, are you going to sell? The stock market's down. Are you going to sell? No, no, don't sell. Because it's going to go back up. I'm telling you, it's going to go back up. We know it's cyclical, right? Mm -hmm. Why are you worried? Because this little message is coming to you. (laughs) The stock market's down. Right, right, right. Don't sell. It'll go up. (laughs) Maybe you should sell because it's going to go down further. (laughs) (laughs) Well, those are... And those are the universals. Yeah. And I guess that pervades the series. I mean, that's a lot of... I think so, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, there are two human... 
oh, yeah. uh, emotions that those two shows yeah. in their in their uh, fantasy right. you know, science fiction uh, uh, appeal to. And, and that it's best. That's what Star Trek did. With film, when you started making movies, why do you think, I mean, it sounds like that was more of a frustrating, less instantly uh, clicking kind of an experience than TV. Why did you kind of resonate less in movies than in TV, do you think? I don't know. I, don't, I didn't feel that way. I, I, the early movies I made were really good. Sure. I was with a lot of good people, and uh, uh, and then I left it for the stage, come to think of it. Uh, no, I uh, acting, whatever you do, uh, is always, there's always, it's always the same. Mm-hmm. Whether you put a mustache on and acquire an accent, or uh, it's you uh, and your sensibilities. Uh, and, it, and whatever the medium, you take the energy down for, uh, if the camera's six inches from your nose, and you bring the energy up, if it's a large house, so you've got to fill the house. But it all stems from the truth of your being in reading those words. Uh, it, there, there's no difference other than what I've mentioned. Interesting. So uh, whether it's a movie, TV, or a theater, uh, it's an enviable job. What was going on in your life when you first heard the words Star Trek, and did it seem like anything out of the ordinary to you, or was it just another project? Well, they had made a pilot of Star Trek, NBC and... and, and, uh, and uh, uh, Broadmurray, and um, and then it didn't sell, but there was an unusual, if not unique, moment that NBC said to Roddenberry, but we'd like to try again with a different cast. Roddenberry had seen me on TV, I think. Mm-hmm. And anyway, he called me and said, would I entertain the idea of playing the captain? Come see the original pilot made with Jeffrey Hunter, and Leonard Nimoy was there as Spock, but a totally different... He was playing it quite differently. So I went to see it, and I thought it was terrific. I thought it was a little heavy-handed, mm-hmm. uh, a little ponderous, a little taking yourself too seriously. And I suggested, made those very suggestions, and the second script was less ponderous. I played it less heavily. And Leonard had grasped the character at that point. He had zoomed in, zoned onto how to play Spock. And so uh, everything uh, congealed. Everything came together on that second pilot. How quickly did it become clear to you that it was going to be an unusually special, popular kind of a production? I mean, It never occurred to me, and it didn't occur to anybody else. Because it wasn't for a while. Because it wasn't. We were in the top 40 shows. So you're in, like, you know, you could just hear some executive saying, you know, we could get more advertising money if we got a better show, a more popular (laughs) show, than the one that's 35th. Uh, What's that called? Star Trek. You could just hear their their voices. It's not in the top 20, although I had a show in the top 20 canceled. Um, But, you know, 20 to 40, you're in in an area where it's dicey. And you felt that pressure while you guys were aware of that while you were working on every the show. every one of those years. Wow! And, and, and in fact, there's a, uh, a somewhat well known, at least among the 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 the, know, the, the knowledgeable, <laughs> that there was a campaign uh, to change the executives' minds. I don't think that ever happened, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm told that it might have. Uh, a lot of letters were sent to executives: "Don't cancel Star Trek." They may not have been 
ready to cancel, or they, they were on the edge and they didn't. I'm not sure. Were you really enjoying the experience of doing it? Was it something that you kind of dreaded the idea that it might be canceled? No, or was no. it? That was a well-written part. Yeah. I got to do a lot of things, a lot of wonderful things uh, as an actor. Uh, that was that was a terrific three years of for an actor. And as far as the experience of just who you were working with there across the board, I mean, was it a, a happy sort of set where people, oh, yeah. everybody buddies or, what, you know, how did it? Well, when you say was everybody buddies, uh, essentially, yes. Uh, there were three leads uh, in the show and the three of us got along mm-hmm. extremely well. I, uh, you know, the, I've, I've delineated uh, for dramatic purposes uh, some of the misunderstandings mm-hmm. uh, which were brief and small and you know like any family would have a disagreement uh, there were an occasional uh, but nothing uh, untoward and uh, for three years uh, uh, it was terrific I had a great time I, I never felt badly I was unaware of anybody else feeling badly at the time when did you find out it was over? How did you find out it was over? Um, I, I didn't get a paycheck once. <laughs> really? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Where is that pay? What? Right. You mean there's no paycheck? <laughs> uh, no, it was somebody, I think, somebody came down and said, uh, uh, said um, forget it. Was the impact of the, of the show during those initial years before it kind of was revived... Did it change your experience in the real world already? Were people getting fanatic about... Well, not fan- fa- I don't remember fanatic, but yeah. people certainly recognized, oh, look, there goes... Uh, and it's, yeah. Markedly it, more than before. Markedly more than yeah. before. But, that, but I had been in a series prior to that uh, that went 13 weeks uh, against a very popular show. So it wasn't very well seen. It wasn't uh, uh, popular, mm-hmm. but... Uh, uh, still, people rec- began, were beginning to recognize me as Shatner. Yeah. Uh, live television, theater, movies. You know, I was I was doing quite well uh, prior to Star Trek. As it started to get increasingly big for you, was it something that you were comfortable? With? I mean, losing your anonymity can't be totally uh, enjoyable, even if you're well paid and doing things you like and whatever. How how did you handle that transition? I don't remember it being a transition. Uh, you know, I was popular in Canada. Uh, I'd been on radio, television, m- even movies and uh, stage and in the in the big cities, Montreal, Toronto. Uh, then, uh, and I, I when I came to the states and I I, I got immediately a lot of live television. My face was known that I was doing movies. And so people began to look at me and point out, I never have been without somebody saying, oh, I think that's, or, you know, at the beginning it was the, how do I know you? Right. Uh, but there was always something made me lower my eyes and pull my cap down. Right. And and you don't mind having, you know. Well, I mind, but I don't even think about it. Right. I have tinnitus, which is the ringing in the ears. Sure. So... The only way uh, uh, tinnitus goes away, which it doesn't, is habituation. You don't hear it anymore because you're so used to it. Like mm-hmm. I'm talking to you, and I hear it now because I'm talking to you about right. it. But hadn't, had I not brought the subject up, right. I wouldn't be hearing it. The question when I first got it so many years ago was, what degree does tinnitus play in your life? I'd put 
90%, 95%. I can't yeah. do anything. Now uh, it's zero, it's 1%. I don't it. hear it. Yeah. So the same way, the same thing applies to being looked at. I don't even think about it. I pull right. my cap down. I, try, I avoid eye contact, which <laughs> leads me to think that they're not looking at right. me. If I'm not looking at them, they're not looking at me. Uh, and I just saunter on or run or or hide behind an umbrella or something. <laughs> so, but anyone who, you know, I think maybe some some of the stuff years later when you, you did the, the SNL appearance about Get a Life or whatever, and I can totally get where that would be coming from. I think anyone that has any degree of empathy can can get that. Well, but, that was a tongue-in-cheek. And, uh, well, that's what I wanted to ask. It was hopefully a laugh. Yeah. And most of the uh, people who, uh, aficionados of Star Trek, laughed at it. And those that didn't... Uh, Soon afterwards, did yeah. So it's not, but just to completely set the record straight, you it's not like the sort of a, the a resentment of the people that are obsessed with. On the contrary, yeah. on the contrary, I'm totally grateful. Yeah, have always been grateful. Right. Wrote two, wrote a book called Get a Life, right. uh, which I figured out that they were coming to see each other after my due diligence on the book. They were coming to see each other. Then I did a documentary, a film documentary, which I also called Get a Life, and there I learned that it's not coming to see but it's part of a mythological thing you're talking about like conventions and all of the things that they do to celebrate everything about star trek yeah the popularity of science fiction yeah is 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 almost ritualistic because it seeks to answer some of those unanswerable questions what's out there is that a ufo if it is what's inside it is it a little green man and how will they greet us and what are they thinking? And since we can't imagine what we don't know, what about the people who know what we don't know? And those questions always just on, on a personal level fascinated you as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Fascinate me. And it's, and it's like playing around with what's it going to be like when you die? You know, what's it, I, I'm old and, 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 and I don't feel old. I mean, it's like 50 years have gone by and I, I think I'm, I still think I'm 30 and my legs don't quite work the way they used to, but that'll go away soon. <laughs> sort of thing, you know? Right. But you started, you start thinking about death more and it's fearful. And at the same time, you wonder what's going to happen. And that thought about death and the mystery of death and, uh, and is there life after and, and does your spirit go on? Do you suddenly know the answers to all these extraordinary questions or do you die? unknowing of the milieu in which you are born, the universe. Will you get to know, will you understand the universe? Will you, even if you just say, oh, that's what dark matter is. That's what dark energy is. <laughs> no, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. So, and that's science fiction. Yeah. And, and obviously continues to hold a great appeal. You look at everything from this year, The Martian, and all the things that it just never stops. It's tantalizing yeah. the human imagination yeah. beyond yeah. belief. So in those years immediately after Star Trek's cancellation, initial period there, I guess 69 was when it stopped, it sounds like it was a frustrating time for you, right? I mean, personally, professionally, just in every sense, I know you'd lost your father. I think your marriage was it was over at that point now it's you got to just pay the bills it affected your living situation as you look back at that time what stands out to you were you kind of down on down on things my desperation desperation really? to to make a living to keep my children alive to pay the alimony and 
to have some be able to eat sushi now and then. <laughs> and so, what was the solution? I mean, it was not... well uh, the solution that year. The solution was summer stock, mm-hmm. and that's what I did. I lived in the back of my truck uh, and because I didn't want to pay the money for hotels, and uh, and uh, I did thirteen weeks of summer stock, and came back and you know did whatever I could do uh, as as the tempo rebuilt. And do you feel that part of the issue was that people could no longer imagine you as something other than this type of I didn't of know how to analyze it. Yeah. Uh, you know, they talk about the fact that it takes a while, years sometimes, for somebody who's popular on tele- in a television series to come back in another television series. At least that was the conceit then. Uh, it might be true. Um, but I was on to other things. I, I've forgotten what it was now. But, you know, I never went any lengthy period of time without being gainfully employed. Right. And by that I mean sometimes weeks or months. Hardly hardly a month. I mean, I can't, I don't remember. Uh, I remember playing with jobs all the time. Right. And it seems that you got creative as well. I mean, that's when the LP, for instance, happened or other things that, that were outside the box, right? Right. I, I, I was doing everything I could yeah. to uh, to sell entertainment, yeah. whether I was writing it, directing it, or acting in it. Interesting. So was the coming out of that, the I guess the return of Star Trek, in a sense, because of syndication, that is what brought you back to, to popularity? That's my, yes, I believe that, that was the case. When it went into syndication, more people saw it. It was at a better time slot, and away we went. And was there any pause on your end about revisiting this this project when people are saying, hey, you know what, uh, I think one of the things was that Star Wars, right, had just been a big uh, hit. That was, the, that was the impetus to the movies, that's for sure. Uh, Star Wars took off and and, uh, and Paramount needed a, a Star Wars. And said, hey, we got this project, and then they <laughs> began to fiddle with it as to whether it would be a series, movie of the week, and then it became a film. And all of a sudden, it seems like then it... it Blew up to a different. I mean, I don't know if you have you. I saw a few documentaries in your pile here. I wonder if you're familiar with the documentary "Searching for Sugar Man." Have you heard that one? It won the no. Oscar. I got a pile of documentaries that I've got to look at. Yeah, well, yeah. one of these is about a guy who didn't even realize how his popularity was growing when he was a singer. Who some bootleg copies of his music were in South Africa, oddly enough. And years later, he found out he's a carpenter. Something years later, he finds out he's huge in South Africa. That's hysterical. And it just, in a way, feels somewhat like what what you experienced because all of a sudden, out of the woodwork, and maybe these were newer fans or whatever. But yeah, you have this. It was out of the woodwork. Yeah, uh, it was. It came as news to me. Yeah, and as you look back at those Star Trek movies that you did, was the first versus the second? You know, any of that? Do you have any feelings? I know a lot of people feel that the second is probably more it's more quoted and more uh revisited maybe right did you have a feeling about one versus the other well uh, yeah, i was being so much a part of it i i knew that one was logie because uh of the time uh, it was premiered and the and you know you hear the story you hear the quote uh, the print was wet when we played <laughs> the print was wet it was it it, it, it was opening in washington dc right and and somebody was getting off an airplane at 5 o'clock in the evening with a print under their arm to play in the theater that night at 7. It was literally that. So he had no time to really edit. And the special effects just went on without editing. Yeah. It was uh, 
Star Trek One would be a much improved movie if a really fine editor got in there. But nobody cares. <laughs> well, I guess in 1994, I think, was the last time that we saw you really as in the character, right? And obviously, met it, met his end, and that was that. Was the end of the character a choice of yours? Was that something no. you were pushing for? No. I wrote a book yeah. called The Return. Mm-hmm. And I said to the producer of Star Trek at the time, uh, and I died. Right. And that was it. Right. And, uh, oh, wow. I died. So here's a book. <laughs> called the return how oh, i come back to life right. and yours is your roadmap for <laughs> i've got a roadmap right. for you here's what happens here's what spock does you read the book he says oh no we're not gonna bring it. <laughs> we're gonna go on to the next generation well you know the only the reason i ask is that when we look at this this uh other franchise that sort of coexisted for a lot, a lot of the same time star wars my understanding and spoiler alert turn this off if you haven't uh, seen the latest one, but my understanding was that Harrison Ford wanted out for a long time, and they gave it to him. And this, you know, this is the uh, this. Was, Don't tell me. No, I'm not saying I anything. Seen it. No. Well, but Harrison Ford might have wanted out. Yeah. But Harrison Ford accepted the he job. He accepted the job. <laughs> exactly. So when when the new when the new Star he needed a new airplane if the one he crashed. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, when the same person, incidentally, J.J. Abrams revived Star Trek as a movie, did you want in? So, I called, uh, J.J. called me and yeah. brought me in and uh, talking about uh, a part that I might play. And I like, great. And I took him out for sushi and, you yeah. know, and uh, we established a nice acquaintanceship. Uh, it never came to pass. And it hasn't come to pass. And I don't, uh, I don't know what they would do with me. How would right. they... How you know what is that? Twenty years later. But the desire is is still there to be. Able well, when we were finished our movies, the six movies I made, we we were putting uh, Kirk into glasses, graying hair, <laughs> a little old, you know, hard. Right. And I wrote a series of novels right. about Captain Kirk. Right. They allowed me to tell my story of Captain Kirk. So in a series of novels of Star Trek novels, half a dozen of them, yeah, I take him from my own life of life and death and love and yeah. loss. I created this whole world of Star Trek for Captain Kirk. Uh, I would have loved to have done them on... They were written. Yeah. The Return was written to be a film. Right. All those books have a one-line... Uh, there's no B story. Right. It's all the A story of as if you were in a movie and you're right. following the movie. I am write these, these novels as though you're watching a movie. That's... I'm looking at a movie. Thinking of it cinematically, yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of it pictorial, exactly. So there's another one that's coming shortly, right? Another Star edition Trek. of Star Trek. Uh, yeah. So I've heard. I don't know anything about but it. But that okay. So I guess when you look at the fact that these other, and, and again coming back to Star Wars for a second, that the three originals were back for this one, does a part of you say, "I wish that they're the same sort of." Uh, tradition or history was as valued in in the Star Trek world, or is it just a different situation? Well, because uh, you're not a big Star Wars fan, right? I, I am. I'm you are. Sure. Oh, of course. So that was just joking oh, on Twitter. And all stuff. of that Twitter stuff is just, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just uh, having fun. Yeah, uh, it's fu- it is funny. Uh, yeah, it is yeah. funny. Is Star Wars better than Star Trek? Who the hell cares? <laughs> uh, uh, it's a uh, they're both entertaining vehicles, yep. and and they're both well done. And J.J. is a master at doing it. So whether he's producing it or directing it, he's got his hand in it, and it's a ride. Right. And it's great. Yeah. Um, if 
of course, the three, the two other characters, uh, the 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 actors are no longer alive. So it leaves me uh, to come back. Mm-hmm. And how would they handle it in science fiction terms? I'm older. I'm heavier. I'm, uh, you know, all the 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 problems of age. Uh, so what did Captain Kirk do? Die and age? Doesn't sound science fictiony enough. Uh, or maybe you make him really old. Uh, maybe you go into, I don't know. Uh, it, it seems to have beggared uh, uh, Abrams' <laughs> imagination. Right. Uh, so, yes, I would love. Oh, so, as I was saying, we wrote for the aging character. Right, right. And that was great fun. I would play a, an old Captain Kirk, absolutely. So, but in a but sense, you, you would have an interesting character, yeah. not a cameo. Right. Like, here I am, uh, aren't I interesting? Right. Uh, it's. It's the ongoing world, right. and it's the imagination in science fiction. Yes, you age in the universe. Time goes on, but time bends right. as well. So now, not only is it time bending, you're bend, your mind has been... I mean, there's so many things you, you could, could do, do yeah. using science principles in science fiction. One of the things that people, I think, really love about you is that, unlike a lot of people who take themselves super seriously, you seem to have a great sense of humor about you know, kind of laughing about things, including yourself. And one of the great stories I've seen is how the Priceline ads, in which you were essentially mocking yourself from everything I I can gather, were what inspired this second great television age of your career, right? I mean, it was a a Uh, correlation. If you wish to put it in those terms. Well, is it it wrong? I don't know. Uh, I don't see it from there. I mean, what you're seeing is what our our points of view are different. Uh, second grade age. I I don't know. That sounds glacial to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think it's 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 amazing because you hear <clears throat> David E. Kelly or somebody interviewed and they say that it was that ability to kind of have fun with things that made him think of you and that also I thought the greatest review that I've ever seen was. William Shatner, the man, was playing William Shatner, the character, playing the character Denny Crane, who was playing the character William Shatner. And I mean, but in in your own mind, is it that uh, complex, or was it just? Well, it's, it's maybe what that guy observed. Right. right. As far as I'm concerned, I'm right. doing the best I can with my limited resources. Well, hey, people people love uh, both the practice and Boston uh, uh, public. But I guess uh, just to wind down here, we're now celebrating fifty years here it's a big milestone of the folks that are still around from the original collaboration and and how often do you see each other are you still you know all in touch and friends and uh will you be celebrating together uh, i'm in touch with uh deforest kelly uh-huh. uh i run seances uh, around our dining room table and he's very well and uh he's south he's in the He's his spirit is in the south. Mm-hmm. He's haunting a southern mansion, but he's very happy. <laughs> As for Leonard, he hasn't gotten yeah, in touch with back me. to you yet. He hasn't gotten not back yet. to me yet. No, but I mean, there's a few folks, right? So there's George. There's mm-hmm. some others. Um, I uh, I don't uh, I don't see them. <laughs> Simply put it, I, I don't see them. You don't see them. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, you might say I never saw them. You never saw. Them. <laughs> Uh, and last thing is just, uh, you know, for, for folks who... Who aren't in the know, yeah. How would you, A, describe your sort of life today? I know that horses and are a big part of it. And My life today? It. And also, uh, part B, I just have to put it out and then I'm going to stop talking, is just, you know, 50 years from now, how would you like people to look back and, and remember William Shatner? 
Well, the last part first, uh, what I want them to say 50 years from now is, I can't believe he's still alive. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, hey, sci-fi, is, sci-fi, it could be real. Right. And those yeah. objections, come right. on, man. <laughs> Dr. Oz is a friend of mine. Yeah, all. right, make it, make it happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what was the was well, first and just you know about your life today, the things that make you happy. The life today is uh, I am so filled with the joy of life, uh, both athletic, athletically as well. Uh, I ride competitively on uh, uh, three types of horses. I'm in the winning circle uh, a lot. Uh, I have love all around me, and my family is here. I'm happily married. Uh, I'm gainfully employed. My mind is more creative now than it's ever been. I've got more projects, books, and and comics, and watches, and motorcycles, and and things that I'm working on. I've got documentaries. I did a ride from uh, Chicago to Los Angeles this summer on a bike and motorcycle I helped design. I, I, wow. I shot a, 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 a documentary on it. I raised funds for the American Legion, uh, their, their, their scholarship fund, and, uh, and the whole idea was to sell motorcycles anyway. <laughs> Uh, I helped design a watch, which got very popular and, and sold out. And, and uh, uh, I got a comic book, the likes of which have never be, has never been seen before. It's called a graphic cinematic novel, in which the camera travels over the, the, the graphic novel with sound effects and music behind it, but you read the bubble. Wow. Uh, I've got, I, I got Leonard the book. I got another book, yeah. a great science fiction novel called Zero G, a great science fiction novel. Zero G is coming out in October or November, and they've asked for a second novel, which we've written. Jeff Rovin, R-O-V-I-N, helped me write it. He's a wonderful writer. I've enjoyed working with him. It's a barn burner, this science fiction novel. Leonard is getting rave reviews, the likes of which I can't imagine. And I'm going on tour... Uh, next week for two weeks for 13 cities and may go for more in May another five cities. Not so may, retirement is not a word. Retirement? It's not a... Well, how do you spell that? <laughs> well, I can't thank you enough for this. It's been great and thank you for so many hours of great entertainment. Thank I appreciate, you. I appreciate it. that. Hey.